are live from the Empire of Lies. It's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is The Backstory. Hey, Rod, how you doing today? I'm doing well, Lee. How about yourself? Good. we got a great show you put together for us today. In the first hour, from London, the great Ian Schilling will be joining us. And the second hour, from the Center for Immigration Studies, Todd Benzman. Is that right? That's correctly. Okay. I didn't want to screw it up and then throw it to you. So, uh, we're also taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Rod, would you take us out on the name of the show? And make the boom go boom. You're listening to the best show on the radio, The Backstory. So, are you throwing a party? A grinder uh, party? <laughs> no, you know, no, not at all, Lee. But, you know, that can be misconstrued, you know, especially as a man, you know, you saying something like that. <laughs> yeah, ain't, ain't no party like a grinder party. But so the, the deal is, Brittany Griner has been released. And they sent a Russian, and apparently, you know, I don't know who this guy is, but he's being called an evil arms dealer. I don't yeah. know who he is. Yeah, he, it's Victor Boot. You know, uh, we talked about him a couple months ago. He's the uh, arms dealer from Ukraine. He's arms dealer from Ukraine. The movie Nicolas Cage played him, uh, the I think, the Lord of War. Um, so he was, you know, uh, shipping guns through Africa, through Ukraine, and you know, so he's a bad guy, Lee. Yeah, and Ukrainian. I th- I believe he's Russian, but he was just doing it through Ukraine too. I mean, this was in the early two thousands and nineties, or even uh, yeah, in the nineties. So you know, there's a different time between Russia and Ukraine. Well, we know that uh, Ukraine is a very corrupt country, and so therefore. It's used for all sorts of things, including arms dealing. Right, Rod? Yeah, exactly. And that's what kind of the movie's about. Obviously, they portrayed in a, you know, happy, kind of go-lucky way that this guy's having a great time selling weapons all over the world to uh, dictators. So, um, you know, so, yeah. You know. There's two things in the news today that I should care about more as an American. I should be really thrilled Brittany Griner's coming home, but I'm I'm just not. Does that make sense? My apathy. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Lee. Uh, you know, people are acting like uh, it's just crazy how people are acting, especially on social media. Like, you know, Brittany, if you if if Brittany Griner wasn't uh, sentenced in Russia, you know, caught with this uh, vape pen and all that, most people wouldn't even know who she is. But as soon as you find out she's she's a she's a hero now she's a shero. And 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 I as by someone as someone who likes marijuana, let me say that I thought the sentence given to her was uh, excessive. But as someone who likes marijuana, if I went to Russia, I wouldn't bring any marijuana with me. So I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. Because I hate weed. I like weed. Weed's fine. But I would not go to Russia with weed because I like freedom. And I respect their laws. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, for surely. You know, I've been in other countries and, you know, uh, you ask questions about certain things like that, you know, like, you know, you know, about getting marijuana or weed. And, you know, the, the locals will tell you, like, no, 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 that's not what you want to do. <laughs> that's right. And I, I apply the same thing in South Dakota. When, uh, when I came from Washington, D.C. and Virginia to South Dakota a couple of years ago, I didn't have weed until I got my medical recommendation, which was about a year and a half. And so uh, uh, I, I did the same thing here. When I come to a state, if weed's not legal, does that make sense? Or my wussy, Rod? Be honest. Let me know so, slowly. No, nah, you're just being cautious. You don't want to get any any legal trouble. You know, that's a, that's a hassle. And it's their laws. So if South Dakota has stricter marijuana laws than D.C., and by the way, it's kind of hard. You know, D.C.'s got very loose marijuana laws. You can get weed delivered to you. That's a fact. So Yeah, yeah. That's one of the only good things <laughs> about D.C. Right, because you need it in some ways. But the other big story today that I don't care about that much is the bipartisan past the preserving, respecting, loving marriage act. Apparently, they love marriage as long as it's not between a man and a woman. Then it's iffy. But they passed bipartisan, and I've seen no Republicans who cared about this. Did you see any Republicans who cared about marriage being not preserved? No, no. Uh, I mean, I've seen discussion about this whole thing, Lee, and uh, it's a little bit confusing. That what seems like this bill is gonna. It just seems confusing to me. I mean, I understand it after reading it, but just trying to regurgitate it now on air, just like, it's just so confusing. Let me try it. So what the law does is if your state does not have gay marriage, it does not give you gay marriage. But if the state next door recognizes gay marriage, this law says they have to, in your state, recognize it. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, but like I said, I was reading. Well, I was reading. You know, I'm guess I was reading attorneys talk about it. So, and they were just saying, but this just confused. Confu have to do, you know, to. You know. So, this great victory for human rights is apparently, if your state recognizes gay marriage but doesn't have it, you have to keep recognizing that. And that's just legal sense. It, it, you can't have marriages that are recognized in one state and then not recognized in another. It seems to me, based on rule of law concerns, I don't want that, right? Right. But I saw no state. In South Dakota, they were not saying, you know, for instance, we, we won't recognize your California marriage. And, you know, Pelosi's out there. This is kind of her last hurrah. And uh, uh, 
I was I was thinking about whether I should make a Paul Pelosi joke, and I reserved. I stopped myself, Rod. I want you to know I stopped myself from saying Paul Pelosi's out getting hammered. He's so happy about it, but uh, I did not go there because <laughs> it was in poor taste and probably factually inaccurate too. But uh, this law is a kind of half measure that allows them to pat themselves on the back in Congress and say to themselves, look how bipartisan we are. But this is not, the reason I don't care about it that much, it it was not a law that I saw as needed. It was not being really threatened that I knew about. Maybe, Maybe I missed it. But it seems to me I'm a libertarian in the sense that I think we have enough damn laws. Right? Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, of course. We have too many, actually. We need to cut back by a lot. And let's speak about weed for a second and relate it. Up in South Dakota here, where they uh, passed, they legalized marijuana medically. By the way, it's still not... And it failed in this last election recreationally. So if I, if I have an edible here, Rod, trust me, it's medicine. I'm not enjoying it at all. At all. Is that clear? <laughs> Crystal clearly. Crystal clear. Right. No fun at all. And, uh, but what they did up here is they legalized marijuana with a whole bunch of extra laws. In other words, there's a whole procedure. You know where I have to get weed? An Indian reservation. That's about 50 minutes out of town, 45 minutes or so out of town. This, and there's all kinds of restrictions on who can have a dispensary. We don't have any in Sioux Falls. There's so many laws. So what they've done is, again, They've legalized something. I would have thought they, as far as I was concerned, South Dakota just could have said, we're not going to bust you, and just stayed out of the way. And that's the real libertarian solution. Don't add an extra weed bureaucracy. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, no, of course. I I, uh, agree with that, Lee. We we have enough bureaucracies and, and all over the country you know we have enough of that so yeah i agree with you you know trying to regulate marijuana and so many procedures and uh type of permits you need just to just to be able to smoke or you know not be afraid of the law you know it's just this is nonsense i think if you're over 21 a a weed bureaucracy is the worst kind too because the the guy in front of you is going through his pockets looking for papers and he can't find them and it holds up the line. So, uh, actually, I avoid that by having my girlfriend go to the Indian Reservation. So I don't stand in line at all. I just sit here. But uh, we got a clip about Brittany Griner. So let's play that clip, shall we? Hit it. In this prisoner swap. Why did Russia get such a better deal? Look, you know, I've talked about this, uh, and I'll say this again. 
here were our choices. Our choices was uh, Britney or no one at all. Bringing home one American or no American at all. And, and that's that. Professional that's, athlete. We gave up a prolific arms dealer who was convicted of trying to kill Americans, who was called the Merchant of Death. The professional athlete is also an American citizen. So let's not forget that. Who and deserved and so and and, and and I have explained how the Russians have illegally uh, treated, totally illegitimately uh, treated his situation. I've been very clear on that. Uh, we've laid that all. We've laid that out for you. Uh, and again, the president felt that this was an opportunity to bring Brittany home. He is going to continue to do everything he can to bring Paul Whelan home, just like he did with Trevor Reed, just like he was able to secure Trevor Reed's release. How can you say that he's going to do everything that he can if he said just a few days ago he's not going to call Vladimir Putin until further notice? We were able to do this uh, through... Um, through different channels, right? We were able to do this uh, through uh, uh, through different uh, avenues, uh, folks from the U.S. government uh, that were able to make that negotiation, have those conversations, and, and secure Britney's return. Now, uh, he's, they're talking about Paul Whelan. Paul Whelan was convicted of espionage. And I never hear anyone in the U.S. government or the press Admit they was a spy. He's just an ex-Marine who's there for a wedding. Have you noticed that, Rod? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's it's funny how they don't cover into detail. I think he had like multiple passports. Once he had one from Ireland, uh, he was caught. He was caught with all this different stuff. And like you said, he was a spy. But they just make it seem like he was just some innocent American. And what's weird about it is, you know, and, and so let me translate that Q and A. The guy was asking, why didn't you get Whelan? Why did we get this minor person, you know, who's inconsequential, Brittany Griner? And that's a good question. And the answer is because Putin is a tough negotiator. Putin did not cave on us. He did not open up for a spy. Does it make sense, Rod? Yeah, and, uh, you know, from what I know, Saudi Arabia was involved in this negotiation, so how, how much were we involved, you know, the, as far as, uh, you know, Saudi's involvement, was this, was this some type of, what, what is Saudi Arabia getting out of this as well, you know? Right. Now, now, now there's also, so what's this first uh, EU clip? Uh, this is an EU member. Uh, I forgot what country. I'm sorry, I, I misplaced where I wrote it down. But he's just uh, he's just talking to the parliament and telling them how that this isn't a democracy. The EU is anti-democracy. Okay, so I think we'll save that for Ian. Because let's talk about the guest. Uh, we talked about it already. Ian Schilling is going to be on this hour. So we'll save that clip for him. But you were talking about Angela Merkel, a big admission. The thing I've said for anyone who is confused about the Russia-Ukraine special military operation is the people say this is an unprovoked attack. This is a completely provoked attack. For eight years, Ukraine was bombing its own citizens in the Donbass, right? 
And I pointed out, and others have pointed out, that the that Russia tried to negotiate this entire time with the Minsk Accords. There were these this deal brokered by, among others, Germany and France, a peace deal. And Ukraine and the West completely ignored it. They continued bombing their own citizens. Is that right, Rod? Yeah, that's correct, Lee. That's correct. Now, so uh, when people say this is an unprovoked attack by Russia, they do not know or they're lying about the history. But Angela Merkel made a big... We talked to Mark Sobot about this the other day, that Putin had made indications that he thought going with the Minsk Accords for eight years was a mistake because Germany, France, and Ukraine just ignored the deal. And so people died. Ukrainians died waiting for Ukraine, France, and Germany to start to follow this deal, right? And Mark Zavoda said he agreed with that. That was a mistake. Now Angela Merkel has come out, former chancellor of Germany, and she said, I think she was chancellor. Germans, I don't, I don't know. But uh, Angela Merkel said that the Minsk Accords were a ruse. She's admitted that, right, Rod? Yeah, she did admit that yesterday, Lee, and it's, uh, uh, Russia responded by saying there should be tribunals over it, for over her admission, which... You know, uh, I don't put too much stock into ever happening, but it's just the fact that this, you know, now that she's not chancellor, what's it been at least over a year, she's just freely, openly saying things like this because they don't care. And, you know, the fact that, like you said, for eight years, Ukraine's been bombing its own people. And she's just freely, willy nilly, just saying things like admitting things like this, that uh, some people have uh, always thought it was the, uh, the whole goal of this. And, and, I understand why Russia wants tribunals for this. This makes the concept of negotiation impossible. How can you negotiate with a country when they admit to openly, you know, doing something as a ruse? Now, why did she say she did this? Tomorrow, Angela Merkel? Yes. Uh I'm not hundred percent sure why she said she did. Why she, you mean why she said this or why she no why no. they went along with well, why why they they went along with this ruse? Basically, it was to help Ukraine build up. Oh, it was a distraction. It was a distraction to uh to help you. Yeah, like you said, it was a distraction to help Ukraine fight against Russia or to, to attack Russia uh, to attack Russia, which you know just shows how sick these people are. You know, you're gonna come to an agreement and give people hope just to, at, at the same time, now we're just, <laughs> you know, this is just a backroom deal to uh, give Ukraine more time to try to kill more Russians or, and, you know, Russian speaking part of Ukraine. And, and like I say, this makes the concept of negotiation impossible. When you know, does that make sense, Rod? If you know your car dealer who you're negotiating with for a car, is negotiating with you knowing that the price is going to go up next month. Does that make sense? Uh, 
you would never negotiate with that person. So right. why would anyone negotiate with Russia or France or the West again? Why would Russia negotiate with them on any issue? They're admitted liars. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you, Lee, and which is, brings into question uh, what we had to give up to get someone who means uh, very little to nothing in Brittany Griner, uh, along with Saudi Arabia, this, this triangle deal. Um, and you're right, you know, why would Russia ever trust the U.S. and most of these European countries who just are, gonna, are always lying straight to their face? And again, this show has pointed out the lies every step of the way. So the other liars we're finding out now are CDC and everyone about this pandemic thing. And, you know, I, I say this all the time. Their spin is so spun that I'm dizzy because I don't. On one hand, I see them admitting the vaccine didn't stop infection or transmission. Then, on the other hand, I see they're still pushing it. And now they're pushing it, they're saying, for six months old. Do you have any newborns who need a vaccine that doesn't work, Rod? No, but obviously the government's pushing it hard on uh, on parents to give these give these useless vaccines to kids. Actually, well, they they do serve a use. You become a permanent patient because you end up sick or you know uh, permanent heart damage, things like that. Let me talk about headlines for a second, and I'll come back to this thing about the pandemic because we've got a clip about it. But uh, did you see the action on TikTok? That's happening. A number of states, including South Dakota, Indiana, and others, are suing for the app TikTok. And the reason is because China. TikTok's made in China. Now, are you familiar with TikTok, Rod? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm familiar with TikTok, Lee, and I think that's the, the not necessarily the right reason, just because it comes from China, to be suing them. Well, so TikTok, I know it my children, my young children would use TikTok. And it seems to me like if TikTok is China's great espionage plan, how, how it's being talked about, they're stupid because, sorry, China, don't mean to insult you, but if that's your espionage plan, my kids don't know anything. My kids are relative foreign policy morons. I'm just... I love my kids, but, you know, they're not useful. And they like TikTok because it's cute little funny videos. I don't see the espionage value in TikTok. Do you, Rod? Uh, not necessarily as far as data mining and things like that. The, that's probably possible in that fine print uh, conditions nobody reads. But uh, it's more of the, the, in China, the algorithm over there is uh, education. Um, it's the, the government uh, censors other things, nonsense like uh, dances and sexual sexualization, and it's more educational. I, I know they do that over there in China, and over here, obviously, like you said, it's just like fun dances and you know, uh, you know, nonsense trivia, like uh, you know, something about like Dr. Seuss or something like that. And also here, and my kids didn't watch this. We have, of course, libs on TikTok. 
And TikTok has been great at exposing libs. Would you agree with that, Rod? Yeah, no, that's that's the scariest part is how, how so many adults are on there trying to groom children or trying to expose children to sexual acts. Now, also, I thought about this, and we'll go to—actually, let's—Ian's on, so let's go to a short break, and when we come back, I'll say my question. I was going to ask you, Rod, and I'll tease a question for Ian. I'll ask Ian, who handled protests about the pandemic harsher? China? Because we recently had people in China protesting— handle it harsher, China or Canada? Now, I think Canada, but maybe I'm missing stuff. And so I'll ask the great Ian Schilling about that when we come back and we take a, after we take a short break on the backstory. on the backstory and on the radio on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in the Empire of Lies. Joining us now, great friend of the show, straight out of London, the great Ian Schilling. Hey Ian, how you doing? Hi guys, I'm doing great. Thanks for inviting me. So, so let me ask you, you've been following the pandemic thing for a while. Who do you think was harsher, China or Canada, in dealing with protesters? Canada and Trudeau. I haven't seen any pictures of the Chinese police trampling little old ladies with horses. Have you? Right. Or, or seizing their bank accounts. Uh, seizing their you bank know. accounts, beating them up. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know what's going on behind the scenes in China, what's happening in the jails or whatever, but, but Trudeau was definitely a tyrant knocking everybody down and preventing any travel, didn't he? No, nobody could travel without a vaccine, could they? And uh, the media covered extensively the Chinese crackdown, they say, on protesters. What do you think of China? Uh, you know... China comes up all the time now. They seem to be the new boogeyman for a lot of people. But, Ian, what's oh. your take on China? Yeah, well, they are, aren't they? Because, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're the globalist new agenda, aren't they? War on China and whatever. Because cause China and Russia are allied together because they're natural partners. Because China's a huge, huge e economy with mass-producing everything, consumer goods and steel and whatever else. And Russia's got, got all weapon expertise and oil and gas and whatever, so they're natural partners. Right, they may be, may be totally different ideologically in the government, because one's communist and one, one's, one's, you know, sort of mostly free market. So they're totally different ide ideologically, but but they've got a natural fit economically, and they they've got a con common enemy, which is NATO and the West. Yeah, th that's a good take, and it's mine too. Although I would say, you know, obviously, I mean, the West, the West is complete. 
The West is completely stupid now it's handling Russia and China because the West, and from Nixon, from the second end of the set, just after the end of the Second World War, they spent more than 50 years trying to keep Russia and China apart because together they're a powerhouse. Right? They spent 50 years trying to put a wedge in them. And they did put a wedge in them, didn't they? Russia and China fell out during the communist days in the 19, end of the 1960s, 1970s. And Nixon went to, went to Beijing and, and, you know, made detente with China, didn't he? So that then Russia was the only enemy. Right, so they split Russia and China. But now, since the neocons have been in, since the early 2000s, they've forced Russia and China together by just provoking them, ending the nuclear arms treaties, expanding NATO, pushing things in the South China Sea and everything else. So they, I mean, the West is just absolutely crazy, their policy. They put China and Russia together when they should have, should have been, you know, splitting them apart because together they're, they're a real threat to the West power. Now, we also have a clip. Let's, let's play the EU as anti democracy clip. So here's a clip again. I want to get your reaction on this. Hit it. Prime Ministers, uh, two minutes of truth, of bitter truth. And the bitter truth is that European Parliament has done a lot of damage in Europe. It has been sending a false message. It represents European demos. There isn't and there won't be any European demos. The Parliament infected Europe with shameless partisanship. And the infection became so contagious that it spread to other institutions, such as European Commission. The Parliament, the Parliament has abandoned the basic function of representing people. Instead, it has become a machine to implement the so-called European project, thus alienating millions of voters. The Parliament has become a political vehicle of the left to impose to, to impose their monopoly with their fierce intolerance towards any dissenting view. No matter how many times you repeat the word diversity, diversity is becoming an extinct species in the European Union and particularly in this chamber. The Parliament is a quasi-Parliament because it rejects the essential, the essential principle of parliamentarism, namely accountability. The deputy, let me remind you, is elected by the voters and must be accountable to the voters that elected him. Not so in the European Union. The idea that, say, 
Spanish, German, French, etc., deputies accountable to their own national electorates can dictate something to, uh, shall we say, a Hungarian society or any other society to which they cannot be held accountable and which cannot take them to task is simply preposterous. Now, so thankfully, you don't need to deal with that. You're in, in England and England Brexited. But do you uh -huh. agree with that guy that the European Parliament shows no diversity and, in fact, no respect for its members? Ian? And no respect for democracy, yes. It's never been a demo democratic institution. It's always been a, a tool of control by the, the ruling elites, the multinational corporations, the bankers and the oligarchs. It was, it was set up by the CIA and, and um, the, um, what do you call it? I forgot the name of it. Uh, CIA, the Nazis, and the, and um, what's that? What's that talking shop? I can't remember what the name is now. <laughs> but, it, it, but it's been pushed by the globalists since, since the nineteen forties, the nineteen fifties. Right, and and what happened to the Brexit thing? Because it seems to me like that's been completely dropped in England, and that Richard Sunak. The new prime minister. Where was he on Brexit? Was he leave or remain? He was a leave. He was a leave. But I mean, I don't know how serious he was on it. Right. But but the the guy who's chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, is a remainer, total remainer. Right. So I mean, <laughs> I mean, if he was a proper leaver, he wouldn't appoint a chancellor that's a remainer, would he? So I, I mean, he, I, Rishi Sunak's just a globalist stooge. I mean. The globalists had a fallout about whether the UK should remain in the EU. That's all it was. But they're st still all globalists. I mean, Boris Johnson is a globalist. His father, his father, Stanley Johnson, is a total globalist. And he wants e euthanasia and depopulation, all the globalist goals, and all shutting down the economy and treating the ordinary people like serfs and not allowing them to travel and whatever else, impoverish them with taxes. So... They're all globalists. They're all globalists with the globalist agenda, which is centralised government, which isn't accountable to anyone and is run in the background by technocrats. That's what it is. The EU isn't, isn't a democracy. There's no way it's a democracy. It's got a rubber stamp parliament. It's just like the Soviet Union in, in, in communist days, where the, where the Russians, the Soviet Union, had a parliament, the Duma, but that just rubber stamped all the decisions of the Politburo. And the EU's Politburo is the EU Commission president and all, all the all the commissioners. They're the Politburo, just like the Kremlin had the Politburo in Stalin's day. So it's no different. And the EU Parliament can't make any laws. It can only vote yes or no. It can't make any amendments to proposals. It can't do anything except vote yes or no. That's it. So it hasn't got any power. All the power is with the commissioners. Just like, just like the, in 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 Soviet Russia, all the power was in the Kremlin. So it's the same now thing. Seems, I mean, <laughs> Ian, it seems hey, to me that the, the big winner in all the political card shuffling in England, lately, in the past few months, you've had three prime ministers. It seems to me 
the big winner in that actually was Jeremy Hunt because he had power under Liz Truss and he also has power under Richie. And it seems yeah. to me that, that Hunt has come out of this not prime minister, but more powerful, actually. What do you what do you say to that? Completely correct. Yeah, he was he was in the wilderness after Theresa May got fired because he was in Theresa May's cabinet up until 2019 when May resigned. Because Theresa May was a globalist and pro-EU and voted Remain. So May was a May May was a Remainer and Hunt is a Remainer. Right? And but he was out of power for three years between twenty nine mid twenty nineteen when May resigned and until mid oh, September twenty twenty two when when Truss appointed him as Chancellor. So yeah, he was he was to totally in the wilderness, totally on the back benches, no power whatsoever, no influence, and now now he's probably the most powerful person in government. And he's not likely to be replaced. But Richie is, because no one's done it yet, but everyone's expecting snap elections to be called. And everyone's then expecting Labour and Keir Starmer will come in as Prime Minister. Is that what uh, people well, are expecting? No, no, there definitely won't be any snap elections, because the Tories will get defeated in a landslide. If there's any elections in the near future, the Tories will get wiped out. They'll lose. They'll lose half their seats. They'll get. They'll get absolutely slammed, and all the polls show it. Right. So they'll do everything they can to cling on to power. Right. They're never. They, they, you know that they will net all the Tories have got an eighty-seat majority or something, a huge majority. So even if twenty MPs voted against the government, they'd still pass a vote of no confidence. Right. So they're never. There's never going to be a vote of no confidence in the government to force an election. Right, because the Tory MPs that would vote for vote in a vote of no confidence, so they'd be at risk of losing their seats. Or at least half of them would be. Three quarters of them would be. So they're not going to vote for it. So the next next election is in the schedule till mid twenty twenty four now. Or late twenty twenty four. So it won't happen before then. Because they're going to cling on to power. I mean, there's going to be a huge wave of industrial strikes and whatever. They're already being lined up. There's going to be huge numbers of strikes over the winter. The ambulance workers and the nurses and the, the uh, rail transport workers and I don't know who else is going to go on strike soon. Right? It's going to be huge waves of industrial. It's going to be like 1979. Right, with garbage piled up on the streets and whatever, which wiped out Labour in 1979. It's going to be like that. Right, except it's the Tories in power that caused all this. Well, why doesn't England do what the US does on the rail strikes and just say, screw the rail workers? Because in the US, we shut that down completely. The Biden administration shut down. Forget about it. Rail workers, you're not getting in your way. That's what we told them. Get tough on the train people. Why don't you do but that? The unions are more powerful in the UK than they are in the US. And how uh, much? As, as much yeah, much go, higher go union membership in the UK than there is in the US, and especially among amongst the public sector government entities. You know, like the healthcare and. And whatever else. I mean, the railways are pseudo-government things, but 
Yeah, and so what's the timeline you're look, look, looking for? What, what are you seeing as a time they rail workers could strike? Well, they got they got strikes come. They've already already scheduled them for December. I can't remember what dates they are, but they they're going to start strikes. Like they're only going to be one day strikes. They're only going to strike one day at a time to disrupt things, right? And I think they've already got two scheduled for December, and then they'll go on into January and February. Now, so the issue here was apparently vacation days. What's the issue there? Is it wages or benefits? Wage rises, yeah, because inflation's now about 11%, and they're not offering anything like that as a wage rise. So people are going to be a lot worse off. I mean, all the government and the corporations are offering sort of 5 or 6% pay rises, and inflation's 11%. And that's an underestimate, because the government always underestimates the inflation, because it costs them money if they don't, because all the pensions and social security benefits and everything else is linked to, linked to inflation. So the government's got a real, real major incentive to lie about the true inflation. They always, they always underestimate it. Same in the US, same in Germany, same in France, same everywhere, same everywhere in the West. They always underestimate it by at least fifty percent, and maybe, maybe half. Right? Sometimes it's, it, real inflation is double what they say, or triple even. So when they say it's 2%, sometimes it's 5% or more. And now they're saying it's 11%, it's at least 15% and might be 20%. I mean, you look at things like food, and you can see 20 or 30 or 50% price increases and stuff. Things like eggs and bread and whatever else. So I'm glad you brought up eggs, because I've heard that... England is out of eggs. You know, is, is that an overestimate? The, there's an egg shortage because the supermarkets are refusing to pay farmers an economic price for their eggs. So the supermarkets are offering farmers a price below what it costs the farmers to produce it. Right? So the farmers say, what's the point of me producing stuff when I'm going to make a loss? That's why there's an egg shortage. Right, all this business about the avian flu is a, a sort of distraction. Whatever the real, the real, real reason is the supermarkets refusing to pay an economic market price, and that's the same in the US as well. The big supermarkets like Walmart are refusing to pay an economic price. So, with what we've seen in Amsterdam recently, does it seem like the WEF is? in a war on food, Ian. It's absolutely in a war on food because that impoverishes ordinary people, yes. The whole purpose of all this, the, the Great Reset, economic destruction, economic devastation. In order to get their Great Reset through, there's got to be economic carnage across the, across the board. It's got to be huge unemployment, sky-high inflation, people wondering whether they can afford to put food on the table and whatever else, or whether they're going to lose their jobs next month or whatever else. That's the only way they're going to get the Great Reset through, is if everybody is totally scared about the future prospects. So the plan is economic devastation, and part of that is to totally limit the food supply and increase energy costs. So, Ian, let's turn to the world of sport for a second, because the World Cup is still going on. So, first off, you're, you're British, but I don't assume anything. 
Uh, are you a football fan? Generally? Well, I'm not a fanatic, but I do watch it. Okay. So what do you think of this World Cup? We had a former footballer, David Icke, on the show last week, and I asked him about it. And he thought, look, if you're going to, he didn't think they should have chosen Qatar as a place to put the World Cup because he said, and this is a logical argument, Qatar's not a football country. And they had to actually move when they have the World Cup because it's so hot there. And uh, and then, but, it, but his point was, if you're going to give it to Qatar, if you're going to take your money, then don't criticize them the whole time it's there. And that's how I saw the politicalization. How, how do you see it, Ian? Well, yeah, I mean, it's obvious Qatar was a, was a ridiculous place to hold the World Cup. I mean, the climate is not conducive to football, and, and Qatar is a, is a despotism, isn't it? It's ruled by, by a totalitarian monarch, right? So and they were also involved in arming the ISIS terrorists during the war in Syria from 2012. So, the, the, I mean, the FIFA officials is completely corrupt. And they must have got bribed with hundreds of millions of dollars by Qatar to, to get the vote to hold it in Qatar. That's the only reason for it. FIFA officials were bribed with hundreds of millions of dollars to, to agree to hold it in Qatar. There's no logical reason to hold it in there. I mean, hold it in Brazil, yes. Because, I mean, Brazil is just like a religion. in, in Football is a religion in Brazil. Right? Or Argentina or anywhere in, in, in Europe. Hold it, yeah. But, I mean, Qatar is just ridiculous. I mean, if they wanted to go further afield, they, they could they could try some, some other places in, in Asia to hold it. I mean, Australia, Mark, you know, you could hold it in Australia if it wasn't for COVID because football was gaining, gaining, you know, support in Australia. But, I mean, hold it in Qatar, which isn't a football, footballing country. It's got a tiny population. What is it, about 380,000 people in Qatar? So it's, it's just ridiculous. And it's not convenient travel-wise for fo football fans, right? Well, it is because, no, Doha Airport is a major international airline hub, right? They, airlines stop in Doha on flights between Europe and Australia and the Far East. Right? So it's got a major, it's got a major airport transportation system. Right, and it's only a tiny yeah, country. Actually, so I didn't know that. So thanks for clarifying, Ian. Go on. And it's only a tiny country. So, you know, wherever you are in Qatar, it'll only take you 20 miles to drive to the game because it's so tiny. <laughs> yes. And uh, how else do you see them using athletics in general in their WEF and woke agenda? And by the way, do you see the WEF agenda as the same as the woke agenda? Are they one agenda, actually? Well, woke is part of the globalist agenda to destroy the nuclear family. Right? So it's all part to undermine families. Right? Promote, promote homosexuality, transgenderism, and paedophilia, and all the rest of it. Right? It's to destroy the nuclear family. Because, because the strongest opposition to the, the globalist agenda are families. If people have got 
close people they can rely on to support them, they're not going to be reliant on government, which is what they what the, the all the globalists want. They want people dependent on the government and not have anybody else close to them to support them when 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 you hit hard times. I mean, most people hit hard times at some pe- some point in their lives and feel depressed and whatever else. You go through divorce or they lose their job or they have to move or whatever it is or you know some family close family member dies. Well, everybody everybody goes through horrific periods in their lives where something tragic happens to them, right? And usually when an app happens to people, they then turn to their family or close friends to support them while they get over it for a few months or however long it takes. Right? But that's what they want to destroy. They want to destroy all these close relationships so people people are depressed and they have to rely on government things. They go to the doctor, the doctor prescribes some Prozac or Valium or something, don't they? Get them hooked on drugs. See? That's what they want. And uh, th- that's a great point. And uh, how, how do you see them using sport in general? Uh, we saw that take a knee movement over here in the, the NFL. Are you seeing other things in soccer over there? Well, yeah, it's take the knee still going on. And Gareth Southgate is a total globalist woke merchant. A complete brainwashed idiot. Total nut job. Right? But that's what they do. I mean, this has been go- this has been going on since Roman times. Bread and circuses. They held, held the gladiator games to keep the plebs in check in Roman times, didn't they? That's what they used the games for. So there were chariot races, and they were they were gladiators killing them, killing each other in in the in the arena. And football, and whether it's American football or or European football, it's the same thing. It's keep it's keep the plebs entertained so they don't criticise the government. They don't have time to think to criticise the government because they're supporting their team. Right? It's been going on for two thousand years at least. Now, so Rod and I were talking earlier about how Angela Merkel admitted yesterday that the Minsk Accords were basically a ruse and that Russia was suckered by France and Germany, who never had any intention of uh, uh, complying with the Minsk Accords. And I point out, I think that makes any future negotiations possible. Impossible, forgive me, because why would you negotiate with someone who's admitted to tricking you last time you tried to negotiate with him? Did you see that, Ian? Yes, I did, yes, and you're right. I mean, the West is basically agreement. It's impossible to agree anything with the West, isn't it? You've got got to have really harsh verification things if you're going to if Russia is going to have any future future agreements with the West, I mean things like nuclear weapons. They were there were rigid rigid inspection checks on both sides to make sure that that both the USSR and America was adhering to the the nuclear weapon treaties that that limited the amount of nuclear weapons that each side had, wouldn't they? But it was it was verified it was able to be verified by each side right and there were regular inspections and that worked didn't it but unless there's a regular a regular inspection regime a a regular enforcement regime then you can't have any agreement i mean minks never had 
any timeline. It never had any goals, right? So, you know, it's supposed to give some sort of autonomy to the next and Lugansk, wasn't it? But there was never any timeline that there was going to be this this transfer of powers to the local government, which where they were supposed to be. And there's never, never any timeline for the Ukrainians to withdraw from the front lines or anything else, was there? There was never any timeline and there was never any enforcement and there was never any inspection regime. So it was a very, as, uh, Russia was pretty stupid in agreeing to it. I mean, it looked like a good idea at the time, but there should have been a follow-up to put all the, the enforcement and verification process in place. And that never happened. Now, it seems to me that not only Russia, but every country on the face of the earth, no one should want to negotiate with, with Germany or France or the West after this. Ian, do you agree? Well, no, they shouldn't be. They should be very careful about anything. Yes, because they can't be trusted because they turn around. Whatever they say, say, you know, now in, in uh, next year or five years time, they'll turn do the exact opposite. Got, yeah, they're just not agreement capable. They don't. They don't. Don't ratify any agreements. I mean, in 1991 or whenever it was, 1989, and and um, you know the USSR was breaking up, and the H. Uh, w. Bush and his Secretary of State were having meetings with Gorbachev and whatever else. And they agreed that NATO would not move one inch to the to the east, didn't they? If they if Gorbachev allowed East Germany to rejoin West Germany, then NATO wouldn't expand beyond Germany. But and then ten years later, Clinton completely destroyed that and uh, put Czechoslovakia and Hungary and Poland in in um, NATO, didn't it? Right, right, exactly, and. I think this is very dangerous because when you make negotiation not possible by lying, the only option is, in fact, war. Do you agree? Or conflict or hostility. I mean, it doesn't have to be outright war, but there's conflict, isn't it? It's like North Korea and South Korea, right? They're in conflict, but there's not open hostilities. There's not a hot war going on, is there? But they're hostile still. Yeah, so you're probably right, but I think effectively, the alternative negotiation tends to be war. In in this case, we're seeing when people are being killed, when you're trying to stop people being killed, and one side refuses to do it and is dishonest about it, I would say that's going to come to blows. What say you, yeah, It leads to war, or it greatly risks the chances of war, doesn't it? Great, It leads to war, yes. But, which is so, now leading to war against China as well, aren't they? I mean, there's a proxy war going against Russia now, which is pretty hot, isn't it? With, with hundreds of billions of dollars being, being spent on weapons for Ukraine and whatever else by by the US and European countries. That is pretty hot. And they're now heating up the war against China as well, aren't they? And when one side also, Ukraine, is lying about a missile landing in NATO territory, they're trying to gin up into a nuclear war. And Zelensky did that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely false flag. Nope. Yeah. 
I mean, even even the Western countries almost immediately said, well, it couldn't have been a Russian missile because it's going in the wrong direction. It must have been a Ukrainian missile. And hey, presto, it was a, a Ukrainian S-300 missile, air defence missile. that was fired from the ground to, to supposedly intercept Russian missiles. But um, and Ian, what we don't... We gotta I mean, go I'd, like, well, I'd well, like to know... We're out of time. Um, a heartbreak at the end of the hour. A great appearance... Thanks for joining us again, Ian Schilling. Great job. Let's take a short break and we come back more on the backstory. back on the backstory the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines i'm lee stranahan and this is the backstory so once again rod what what you think again great appearance pay in yeah, talking about a lot of pertinent stuff there, Lee. And, uh, you know, the eggs, you know, that's a lot of things. I, I was at the gym and a guy was talking about he paid uh, $7 for eggs. And that's... Uh, were they great eggs? <laughs> I didn't ask him more kindly, but, you know, just the, the price is what, you know, he was uh, he was talking about, you know, buying him, him and his family eggs and it came out to $7. And I'm pretty sure a year or a year and a half ago it was... Buy, buy two families worth of eggs for seven dollars and i was thinking of getting in a christmas present i was thinking of getting a dozen eggs but i can't afford it does it make sense rod <laughs> yeah that makes sense so do you agree well, why don't we talk about who's gonna be on the show this half hour todd berenson uh will be on the show and talking about immigration stuff he was just on Tucker, right? Right, Rod? <clears throat> he had a segment. Yeah, he had a segment from his uh, CIS, uh, Center for Immigration Studies, uh, a video, uh, so a vlog from down there at the border. And uh, Tucker played that clip on his show. And we had that clip. And so uh, we've had people from Center for Immigration Studies. Let's go to the boom, and then I'll talk about that. Uh, 202-521-3020 is the number if you want to be part of the show. And Rod, take us to the boom, won't you? You listen to the best show on the radio. Backstory. So, I was going to say, we've been really lucky and privileged to have a lot of people from the Center for Immigration Studies, as long as we've been doing a show. Right, Rod? Yeah, they've been a great help coming on the, uh, and it's it's a topic that comes in in and out of people's minds, but it's something that's twenty four seven, and it shouldn't be. Uh, just uh, the amount of people coming into our country from all over the world. We're not just talking about forget Mexico. These people are coming from you, you name it. They're coming from every continent. And part of the reason we cover immigration so much on this show, and we've been right to do it, and prescient, because. And I'll talk about liberals in a second. But immigration, we could play a game, Rod. Let's play. Imagine we had a, a, a wheel, like Wheel of Fortune. And on it were written a bunch of issues. Immig- you know, education, 
the economy, crime, spin the wheel, and any issue that shows up, pick one, education, name an issue. It is affected by immigration, not three degrees of separation affected either, directly affected. Can you name an issue, a major issue, that do you think is not affected by immigration in this country, Rod? No, none that I can think of, Lee, and one of them that uh, recently affected not me personally, but a family member was a hospital visit that the emergency rooms are all full and they had to go to different hospitals because multiple emergency rooms are all full. And, you know, uh, you go to these emergency rooms and you do see a lot of people who you can, you know, I, I guess certain people don't have that eye and or don't want to be, uh, I guess you would call themselves xenophobic. But since I'm first generation American, I can see it. I can tell certain people who just got here within a year or a couple months or however, how long, however long. And so, uh, and you can see them in emergency rooms all over. No, and that's a good point. And uh, you're going somewhere, Rod? I heard the train coming. But uh, with sound effects in the background. But we have a healthcare system in this country. Let's be realistic about what it is. Poor people go to emergency rooms for healthcare. Right. If you can't afford health care, go to a hospital emergency room and they will be provided for you. Now, I've said before, Republicans do not have any answers on health care. They can criticize it. They can say that's bad. But I don't hear any solutions for this. And I think the, the issue is no one wants to say and neither do I. That if you show up at a hospital, if you can't pay, they'll let you die. Right? No one wants to say that, Rod. Am I right? Yeah, no, I, I've never seen that. Uh, you know, as my time working in the healthcare field, I've never seen anybody want to say, you know, well, you got to die. You know, the one, we can't give you any care. You got to die. And so since we have people who are poor using the system in a way it was not intended, I think it would be better off to control it and have some sort of state-sponsored health care. It seems to me better to control it than to let it run rampant like it's doing now. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, uh, for sure, Lee. Um, I don't know the, the fix either, and we're not having any real discussions about it. Um, you know, some. I mean, I, I know some solutions that some people talk about, but you know, uh, it's not a it's not a blanket fix all for everything. You know, certain parts of the country need, are more need than others, um, so there is no uh, one size fits all for this issue. Exactly right, and because they're not talking about real solutions, we just get more of the same. So our healthcare system is still screwed up. And, uh, you know, there's not one Republican I've seen put forward a suggestion that I think is realistic about it. Haley, but you know who's got amazing health care? It's Paul Pelosi. Um, yeah. Because if you if you ever if you see that in, sit down interview with uh, Nancy, she talks about how Paul Pelosi had his skull removed <laughs> during his gut surgery. And then if you remember, he was out of the hospital within two days. 
So, you know, he's got the most amazing healthcare in the world that a man like that can, at 82 years old, could have major surgery. And now he's at a, he was at an event two days ago uh, with his wife. And, uh, and survivor surgery and everything else. And we wish him the best. And, uh, but we'll still make fun of him. So, you know, I, I'm that kind of nice. I wish you the best, but I'll still make fun of you. You know, not too nice. So, uh, the other thing that Ian was talking about, Ian understands where the WF fits into the world. Do you think, do you agree with that, Rod? Yeah, it's more apparent. Uh, all over the world, all over the world. I mean, we had Sanja talking about the Netherlands and how the you know the farmers are trying to fight back uh, because you know they're trying to feed the people and also make a living for themselves. And you know, Canada also going through it. And here in America, we're also going through it and all over the all over the globe. Uh, Africa being one of the poorest co- uh, co- uh, continents is also being affected by uh, the WEF and it's so it's you know and they're, they're pretty much openly saying that there's too many people in the world. Uh, we had Mark Frost last Friday talk about its Malthusianism, and you know these these people openly say these things, and it's, it's more and more apparent. I saw another uh, another um, cross type or crosstalk on RT with uh, Peter Lavelle, and someone else said the same exact thing that Mark Frost was saying. This is all apparent. These people they want less people, right? Population control is a big issue for them, and it has been for decades. Before the WF, there were other groups, the roundtable groups that David Icke talked about, the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, and so on. Have I talked to you, Rod, about Korkoski and Litvinenko? I mean, you probably talked about it, but not uh, connecting with you uh, what we were talking about right now. Okay, so so uh, l- let me get to calls, and then I'll tell you a story, Rod. You're going to find fascinating, and you know a lot of this stuff, but I found out something I did not know, and I'll talk about it. I found it out a robot told me, and I'll come back to that. But let's go 202-521-1320. Ingrid. What's on your mind? Hey, Lee. Uh, this Saturday, the 10th, is International Human Rights Day, and there are going to be numerous demonstrations across the country in support of Julian Assange for this. Here in D.C., D.C. Action for Assange will be having a vigil, you could say, from 1 to 3 in the afternoon in front of the British Embassy on Massachusetts Avenue, and we're going to have speakers from a lot of the groups that are co-sponsoring with us. There's also going to be a big demonstration. I know you have listeners in New York that's going to be at the British Consulate, and uh, Roger Waters is going to be leading off the speakers there. So we hope people can show up if they want to, but definitely be aware of these. And I just saw an interesting online thing that somebody is doing. Um, stand on a chair. <laughs> it's very funny. Stand on a chair with a sign in support of Assange. And I think it's, they've got some kind of a hashtag. But anyway, it's, it's, there are people all over the world doing it. So it seems to have caught on. 
So great calling here. Thanks for keeping us updated on the latest Assange activism. Now, Rod, did you see the project I did? I talked about it the other day. I put a, a directory of 150 portraits of Assange, and I created those using AI art generation. Did you see that, Rod, by any chance? Yeah, I did see that, Lee. I did see that. that was, it, was, it was pretty cool. And then I saw something that was a little freakier, but I guess cool at the same time, was you riding a bear motorcycle. And I don't yeah, think people can visualize, but it's it's <laughs> it's a real motorcycle, but it's a bear at the same time. And it, it looks like 90% you. So it is very cool. And what it is, is AI image generation, artificial intelligence. You basically, you don't have to get into graphic tools. You just text. So if you say, if you type in Lee Stranahan writing Russian bear, it gives you an image of Lee Stranahan writing Russian bear. And for these Assange portraits, it creates a digital Assange model. And basically, I gave it 15 pictures of Assange. And I did this on myself first. I give it 15 pictures of myself. And then it generates portraits. And this AI generation is amazing. And these portraits of when you give it the pictures, they look photorealistic. Some of the Assange portraits look like a photo of him. Does it make sense, Rod? You saw them. And some of them look like cartoons or graphic treatments, but they're amazing. And you saw them, right, Rod? Impressive, correct? Yeah, I've seen like about twenty of them. Yeah, they're they're pretty they're pretty cool, and it's a like you like you said, it's not how easy it is to do, which is, uh, you know, um, remember Microsoft Paint? <laughs> I, yes. I remember using Microsoft Paint back in the day, you know, before the internet is what it is now, and you know, look how far we've come. It's it's just so crazy. And I do three D graphics, I do computer graphics, and have done them for like thirty years. I am addicted to this. This technology is amazing. If you can conceive it, you can see a version of it. And uh, so yeah, I saw, uh, I saw um, just to quickly, <laughs> I saw people were making like you could say uh, Donald Trump as an anime. So it'd be like Donald Trump as like a you know same dressed up as he dressed, but like as a Dragon Ball Z anime. And it's it's just so weird how, what you can do with it. Yes, it it really is amazing, and. Also, AI. They, there are AI writing tools such as Jasper. And I, Al Keller, hold on one second. I'll come to you because I've also generated a bunch of owls using AI art generation. Have you seen the owls I've done, Rod? Well, I might have seen one, and it's and the only reason that that's pertinent is I saw another video on Twitter of an owl looking at itself in the mirror. Doing, you know how they can turn their heads three sixty. Uh, you know, and so the owl is one of the freakiest animals as far as well, they can be able to do that. And I, I had to generate, I was doing stuff like, the. it's called a prompt. The prompt I was giving the system was a giant statue of an owl buried in the sand. And it produced an appropriately freaky image, Rod. I was trying to give owl color nightmares. And it produced some very freaky images. Or I'd say an owl stained glass. And it produced a, a, like a church window with a picture of an owl. 
and they're they're really good actually. The AI does a good job. Yeah, but, I think that's the one I saw. I think that's the one I saw. And it was amazing, right? Yeah, yeah, but you know, <laughs> I see these videos of these owls, and you know, I'm getting kind of creeped out by owls now. Never was before, but you know. Oh, so some some of them are, are are really creepy. But my point is, there are tools for AI that do writing as well. And here's what's interesting about them: the AI image generation it has problems, it has flaws. Like sometimes, like let's say you said Donald Trump on a beach. Donald Trump might have three legs, or there might be two versions of Donald Trump on the beach. Does it make sense, Rod? Because the AI makes mistakes. It has flaws. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no. I see. I also, I've also seen those pictures where you, you could tell, the, the, like you said, the flaws in them, but where it's at now and where it's going to be is even crazier to think of. And so with the AI writing tools, they also have flaws. So, for instance, I typed into an AI writing tool, Lee Stranahan Divorce, to see what it would do, right? Because the info about my divorce is out there. It's in the public record. So I could find right info. But do you know what it said about my divorce? Tell, tell us. That I divorced Ashley Judd, my wife, six years ago. Now, Rod, that's a flaw because I was never married. I know you're shocked. I was never married to Ashley Judd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But the story it created, you know what? I had to look up whether I was married to Ashley Judd. Because the story it generates looks good. The story said Lee Stranahan and his wife Ashley Judd of six years are announcing a divorce. And all the de- and, and it had detail. It said they were married on whatever, June fifteenth, and in, in Los Angeles. Does that make sense? That it was a story that was completely wrong, factually wrong, but looked real. So sometimes AI writing tools will generate stuff that's completely wrong but looks real. Does that make sense, Rod? Yeah, yeah, I've seen, I've seen them, I've seen them, and it's just you know I've seen them all over Twitter the past week. Um, I don't know, if, uh, you know, I, I don't know if you were a little ahead of that, but a lot of people are using these uh, using these tools now. So I entered information about Korakowski. I was trying to get it to write about Korakowski being wanted and questioned in a murder that seemed to involve someone who's a mayor of a town and Yukos Oil. We've talked about that story a little bit before, right, Rod? Yeah, yeah, we talked about that. Okay, now, what it came up with was Korakowski involvement in Litvinenko's murder. Now, I'd never heard that, and I thought when I saw the story— that it might be wrong, like me married Ashley Judd. Does that make sense, Rod? I saw the story, and I thought they'd pulled Litvinenko and Kordakovsky out of its AI butt, basically. Out of the, it was AI fake news, I thought. But what I've learned is the AI tools often get stuff right. 
So I looked up Khodorkovsky and Litvinenko separately. Now remember, Litvinenko, Putin was blamed for that. Litvinenko was a double agent who defected to the UK and was killed in UK at a sushi restaurant, poisoned. And Christopher Seale was covering that story, and he blamed Putin. He said Putin killed Litvinenko. Putin had him killed. But I looked up, I'd never heard anything about Litvinenko and Khodorkovsky. Have you, and I asked you already, but you haven't, right? We've never talked about Khodorkovsky and Litvinenko. And I found it through AI. But the rule on an AI is don't trust, but verify. In other words, if AI puts something out and I haven't heard it before, I don't trust it. I immediately look it up. But in the case of Khodorkovsky and Litvinenko, it was true. In other words, Russia, the government of Russia has accused Khodorkovsky of being involved in Litvinenko. And I didn't know that. But it makes perfect sense to me. Does that all make sense, Rod? You know what I was going to say, Lee? This sounds like AI journalism, which <laughs> uh, sounds weird, but uh, it seems like we're on the precipice of that. Well, I'm about to do a mini course on that because, you know, I was talking to Jason Goodman about this the other day. And I'm sorry for the long explanation, but it deals with a number of issues that are going to be interesting. But the point is, sometimes it gets it right. It found the Korkowski Litvinenko connection that I didn't know about. So it's actually a, an imperfect research tool. It might turn up research that's completely wrong, but it might turn up stuff that's right. So I think it's useful if you're scrupulous. Does it make sense, Rod? No, it makes total sense, Lee, and then uh, makes me want to use it for certain things that uh, I have questions about. And AI is garbage in, garbage out. If you give it a bunch of garbage, it puts out a bunch of garbage. If you put out stuff about Russia interference in the election, it will give you that story. But if you put out, if you give it good info about Assange, for instance, it'll, it wrote an essay about Assange that made him sound like a hero because I gave it a good prompt. But let's go to the calls, 202. 521-1320. We were talking about him. The aforementioned killer of owls. Owl killer. What's on your mind? I mean, you're talking about the owl buried in the sand. I mean, if you could put a 44-foot one at a beach up to its uh, neck that can spin around 360 degrees and have the tide coming in, I'll take that uh, generated image any day. Um, you know, you talk That's why about, I was actually uh, trying to do, but believe it or not, he is a freaky. I have one of of a, of a girl dancing around a statue of an owl in the Mojave Desert, and that would freak you out because it's fairly photorealistic looking. So it looks like an owl cult in the desert. Does that make sense? Well, we know there's one in the redwood forest. <laughs> Why wouldn't it surprise me in the desert? Right. So anyway, what did you call about, buddy? Well, so um, I want to. So yesterday, Malik was talking again. Malik 
You know Malik is not stupid. Malik's smart. And Malik's been no, around. You mean Malik, right? Because there's two people. Sorry, yeah, Malik. Mal- Malik no, Abdul Malik. is a conservative. And Malik yeah, no, is I, not. I was re- I was referring to, uh, well, for, let me get one thing. Um, the whole uh, Brittany Griner thing, I think she's a detestable human being. But this outrage about, she's, one, she's an American. The, the outrage that we got an American back. And we, we gave up the messenger of death or whatever the 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 uh, comic book name they gave to the Russian arms dealer. We should be happy we got an American back. I I, I just think that this outrage this outrage because Trump would have done it. You know Trump. I, I doubt he would have given up who we gave up, but Trump would have made a lot of effort to get her back, and we would have been cheering that Trump got her back. So. Um, I think Americans should be happy, and this is just another thing to pit us against each other. We should be happy we got an American back. And I, I don't, That's, I think... I, well, I say that, I'm, I'm kind of happy, but I don't have the warm feeling in my heart a lot of the Democrats seem to have. No, no, I, I get that, but it's, she's like, for some reason, she's, you know, because she's part of the uh, LGBTQ leg batik. That that's my new name for it, the leg batique. Um, that she gets like she's like the uh she's put on a higher pedestal, so she's all that, that that's I I don't care that Britney Griner is walking around free. It I say that in a sense that I don't care means I'm not opposed to it. Because I you know all things being, all things being equal. And by the way, we've lost our killer. Rod, send out a search party. But do you, do you understand what I'm saying? That in a sense, broadly, she's an American and she's a human being, and she was in prison for a vape card, and but did not urge uh, discussion of U.S. drug laws. I think the appropriate discussion after Brittany Griner's back is, should we look at U.S. drug laws? And should marijuana be class, reclassified so it's not a Schedule One drug? What say you, Rod? Yeah, I, I agree with Al Killer um, at the end of the day. It is an American that we got back, and we should be happy about that. It's just... Um, they did pin us, pin us against each other because she is uh, anti-American and she she is a part of the uh, LGBTQIA plus. And I'm quoting Corinne Jean Pierre, who who said that today. So um, you know, with the plus for, you know, uh, eventually they'll, they'll come out and say the truth. But um, yeah, you know, I, I I agree with Julie that they, we don't have no discussion about drugs here in America and how it's classified. It's just just a, you know the media and the left pat themselves on the back. Yeah, but but we have on the backstory. So Al Kill is back. Your search was successful, Rod. I don't want you to find them. But Al Killer, go on. Yeah, I I guess the the, the owl uh, flew over over me and uh, knocked my signal out. But um, so no, that that's just I I think it it's another false um, paradigm. I I think she put herself in that situation. That that that's a god honest truth. She thought she was above the law. She thought she was untouchable. She went over to another country that doesn't play games with certain things. And 
you know, it became a, a whole international incident. But I think Americans should be happy that we got an American back. Now, I want to touch on uh, Malik for a second. So when I know Malik is older than me, and I'm from the generation where we respect our elders. And I know Malik is, Malik is very smart, right? So you, you, when Indeed. you hear somebody talking, you, you can tell that the guy's smart. But you saw where he said, I don't care. Where he didn't really say, I don't care. He said that Luna is a step above um, Bolsonaro, even if he's guilty of those crimes. If he's guilty of the crimes, he was guilt that the, he stole. They funneled hundreds of millions of dollars. I mean, the guy, one of the people in Brazil was the richest man, man in the world. And he went down to his net worth was like sub, he's like negative millions. So that the criminal enterprise that was going on in Brazil, it's another one. There, it's another one of these countries where he he is right though about um, the racial the there's still a racial divide in Brazil. It's in so there is a racial divide in Latin. My, my wife's Dominican, and there is a um, in the Latin American countries. It's not they're not like oh, they they don't hate each other. But there is a class system. So, and so he is 100% right about that because I've been to Brazil myself, and there is definitely a class system uh, down there. But Bolsonaro is an anti globalist, and that's the real reason they do- The guy got stabbed by a communist while he was running for office. He almost died. I, I, he was, his liver was lacerated while he was running for office. He was, he's a. Uh, I believe it was a colonel in the military. They love the military. Loves him. The people love him there. And uh, when Rod was talking about a sea of people, that's even an understatement. There are millions, if not tens of millions, of people in the street that don't believe the results of the election. And I, I think that I, I, I think that that is a big. I think that's a big deal. And. Well, Al Killer, we got to go for time reasons. And Todd Benzman is on the line. And I want to talk about that. And I'm warning Todd, I'm going to ask you a question about how much immigration we see coming from Venezuela. Because I don't know if that represents a way to determine what the people think about Bolsonaro. But is there a lot of immigration, people coming from Venezuela. I'll ask Todd Benzman about that after we come back from this short break on The Backstory. And on the radio on 105.5 FM, AM 1390. Join now from the Center for Immigration Studies, the great Todd Benzman. Hey, Todd, how you doing? I'm doing well, thank you. Appreciate you having me. So, Todd, we were talking before about Venezuela. I, I'm curious, do you have any idea where does Venezuela rank in terms of countries with a lot of immigrants at the border to the U.S.? I know Mexico and Honduras, for instance, have quite a few, right? Where does Venezuela fit in that ranking? 
Well, I don't have, I don't know exactly, but uh, I do know that that they're very highly ranked uh, mm-hmm. because remember that there are an estimated six million Venezuelans who have fled their collapsed economy, their economic migrants, and they are mostly have been living in surrounding countries for for years now. Really, uh, Colombia is one of the. Uh, probably has the most, and you know, Panama's got them. They were they they've been living all around, making a living and uh, waiting out Donald Trump, of course, because they knew that they would never be able to get over the border under Trump. But as soon as the Biden administration came into office, they started to leave those, and they saw that people were getting in, were just being granted, you know, parole right at the border. Everybody was getting in. So naturally, they started heading for the border. The problem was that the numbers were so gigantic, and the pool of them in Latin America was so huge in the millions that the Biden administration realized that it had to do something to deter the Venezuelans. So they exempted, or I'm sorry, they they started to forty apply Title Forty Two, the pushback policy. All of a sudden, uh, after letting probably you know 150,000 of them in, a couple hundred thousand and hundreds of thousands more were on the way. Uh, and all of a sudden, they just stopped it. They put a, a roadblock in front of them, and they pulled up in Mexico and Guatemala and uh, in these camps, and they've been rioting and misbehaving, uh, attacking Mexican authorities attacking American authorities in many cases when they get uh, pushed back. They were extremely uh, indignant at not being allowed to just get in. So when Title 42 finally ends, probably in a couple of weeks it looks like, they will be on the march again heading to the U.S. There will be hundreds and hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of Venezuelans crossing the border pretty soon. So let's let's play a clip and get your reaction to this. Immigration fraud is the clip. Hit it. Dreamers or other illegal aliens are in this country. The Biden administration has been working with the government of Mexico to hide those numbers for two years now from the public. So much for your democracy. The Center for Immigration Studies just exposed this in one of the most important investigations from the border in a long time. Watch. After this short bus drive from a Mexican government shelter across from Calexico, California, Mexico's Immigration Service will hand them over to their American counterparts at an official port of entry with temporary legal status papers already in their folders. Once CBP processes them in, They're all released to begin permanent lives working in American cities of their choice. These ones and thousands more entering the same way all along the U.S.-Mexican border won't have illegally crossed a river, won't have hiked through brush, and won't have paid thousands to cartel smugglers. Maybe most importantly to the Biden administration, they surely won't end up in the historically swollen, politically problematic illegal crossing statistics. Instead, Biden's DHS legalized these people before they could commit the illegal act they intended when they left home. 
The U.S. Customs and Border Protection pre-approved all of them while they were still in Mexico. So that was, what's the word for that? Oh, that would be immigration fraud being committed by the Biden administration, hiding the numbers so you don't realize how many people are coming into your country illegally. So do you agree with that report by right-wing extremists talking about, <laughs> uh, of course, I'm joking. That was Todd <laughs> on his report on Tucker Carlson. And congratulations for getting on Tucker, the most watched news person in primetime in history. So a great get. But do you want to expand on what you're saying there in your report there, Todd? Sure. The Biden administration secretively rolled out a program border-wide that has been moving thousands upon thousands, untold thousands. We really don't know how many they've been doing this, but definitely in the many thousands a month over the border by handing, having the Mexicans hand them off to the Americans at ports of entry under the guise of a humanitarian parole, which is supposed to be for a one-off, you know, a person here, a person there, in a, in a specific dire circumstance. Uh, but they've devised this scheme where they are now handing out humanitarian parole to thousands and thousands of people all at once, which is illegal. I mean, it's, there's certainly no authority no specified authority for that. I'm not a lawyer, but I, I have read the, oh, let's just say that smarter people than me have said so, that that is not a legal use of parole. And the way that, the way it works is, you know, they uh, have a big long queue. People all over Latin America have heard about this all over the world, actually. And they queue up in line and they put their name in the hat and they have NGOs, non-governmental organizations, help them gather up a few required pieces of paper and some documentation that, that the Americans require. And then the Mexican government does all the processing. And then on the magic day, they get in a bus and, and drive over to the port of entry and they get handed off to the Americans who just didn't let them into the country. Well, Americans can't see that. You can look at Fox News drone overhead about when they come in illegally. There's thousands and thousands of people down there. You can see them waiting in line, turning themselves in to get processed in. But the, this, this program sets it up so that they don't get counted as illegal because, after all, they got legalized under this questionable authority before they came in. And this is happening from one end of the border down to the other, and it's been going on for months and months. I think I'm maybe the only person to this day who's reported on it. And uh, I, I, you're probably right, because the media does not want to touch this story. And, <clears throat> and I, I'm going to say this is very tough to fight, and here's why. Basic technology... This has been around for years, such as cell phones. Cell phones aren't new, but cell phones are ubiquitous now. Everybody's got them. And while it's allowed people, uh, again, I've said this before, a tool is a tool. It's neutral. And so cell phones have allowed people 
who couldn't have done it before take video of the illegal activity that they see. But it's also given the people wanting to cross the border. You say this is well known in Latin America, this loophole. That's because of cell phones. And I don't see any way to stop that. Does that make sense, Todd? Well, yeah, I mean, I've, I've watched this uh, for two years now. Uh, every, I've never met a migrant over the age of 10, just about, that didn't have a modern iPhone fully connected to the Internet and social media. They're all in chat rooms by nationality. Uh, the guys up, up trail are constantly reporting on conditions to everybody down trail. And when they hear about some program uh, that lets them in, uh, they're taking selfies with their thumbs up inside America, going, look at us, and sending those down trail. And, you know, that's why so many thousands are on their way for this program. Uh, everybody that I interviewed, I was able to get unfettered access inside this particular program in the town of Mexicali in, in, uh, across from California, from, across from Calexico. And I interviewed all of the migrants there for about two hours. And I always ask them, well, how'd you hear about this? And it's always the same. Well, yeah, my neighbors got in, my brother got in, my you know, cousins got in this way, and they you know, sent the selfies. So that's, that's why everybody's coming, of course. The issue isn't cell phones, it's the program. Uh, and they're, I think the plan is going to be to uh, expand this uh, humanitarian parole handoff thing at the border where everybody walks across a port of entry and they're already in, all the work's been done, they just get on buses and disappear. It's just great because it's, it's out of sight, it's out of mind. You, can't, you don't know what you're looking at. Unless, you know, you have this reporting about it. Uh, you can't just look at a bunch of people in a shelter and know what they're doing or when they're coming off the bridge, under what circumstances and status that they're coming off the bridge into the United States. They look like everybody else carrying out a backpack and personal belongings and, and nobody knows. Can't fly a drone over that. And, and people can find more of your report at cis.org, correct? That's right. See, Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, that report and um, some other reporting from my last Mexico trip are in the main carousel on the front page. I've got a video report that uh, Tucker uh, ran part of it, but it's a lot longer than that. And uh, there's a full print report as well that goes into much more detail where you can't, you can't get into to that much detail on a video report. You've done a great job, and I'm not denigrating your ability, but you understand what I'm talking about. I found when I cover stories, and I think my guess is this is that kind of story, that it was not hard for you to find information. In other words, on a lot of stories, sometimes you have to work hard. But in this case, no media is covering this. But if they did, they would find the same things you found. Does that make sense? It, was this fairly yeah, easy for you to find? Well, God? actually, uh, I had been hearing about this for about six months. I had different Border Patrol people, uh, ranchers saying, you know, they're just walking off the bridges. They're coming in, walking off the bridges now. And I never could get it confirmed. I, I tried. I, I, you know, I... 
I'd set up at the bridge, and if you don't know what time they're coming, you'll just be there all day, and you don't know how to recognize them, and you just can't tell what's going on. So uh, when I went to Tijuana, though, uh, in last month, I found myself in a shelter, and everybody in the shelter was preparing to do this bridge handoff, and so that's how I recognized it. I was like, oh, this is that. I'm in it. I'm inside it. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, then you right. put it together, and you know, then you know what to do after that. You ask for access, and the Mexicans didn't know that it was sensitive, or so I got into the Mexican side of a government shelter that was actually doing the handoffs. You know, twice, three times every day, and I asked if I could go along with them, and they said, "Sure, why not?" <laughs> you know, so. Right, but you, you you did not have a lot of competition. You're not having to fight reporters from ABC and NPR and New, New York Times, right? No, you're not, not. Uh, press gaggle. No, no, I mean, listen. The president, when the president of the United States says, "I don't care about the border," that's not a concern. Then, you know, his acolytes in the media, Democratic uh, activists, who are also have a reporter on their business cards, just say, well, okay, you know, we'll take your cue. But the reality is that, you know, a lot of news organizations have people who are dedicated to immigration issues. That That's all they do. Their business card will say New York Times immigration reporter, that sort of thing. This is the, like the moon landing for immigration. I mean, this is, there has never been a story this big and nor that will there ever be in their careers and they're gone. This is the biggest story in the immigration space that we've seen in a hundred years. And what the media does, my guess is make excuses for it. Right, Todd? Well, I mean, you know, I've talked to uh, some uh, immigration reporters, and what they say is, oh, you know, they, it ebbs and flows, they come and go, and these little things, it's always some kind of like a crisis down there, it's just kind of the norm. But they're wrong. The numbers that are coming out on C- cbp.gov, the apprehension numbers, uh, have, we've never seen anything like this in the American experience. The numbers are absolutely ballooned beyond anything that's recognizable in that in that story space. So, and the numbers, in my view, are nonpartisan. You just there's the numbers are the numbers, you know, and the numbers are showing that you know we are literally in the millions in a single year. We've never had anything like that, not even close, or you know. 20 years ago, we got close, but it was a one-off, and we blew that away last year. And this year, we had, you know, another 600,000 that blew that last one away. And it's just, you ain't seen nothing yet when, when Title 42 ends. So, so Todd, uh, I'll just... I, I know you got to go, but, but I appreciate you taking time. And people can find more of your great work over at CIS.org. Okay, Todd, thanks so much, and great job on the Tucker parents. So, Rod, what do you think? That's a, I've been covering 
this immigration stuff for about 12 years. And when Todd's saying it's the biggest catastrophe ever, it's been a big catastrophe for a while, but the biggest catastrophe ever, I believe, Todd, the Biden administration is really delivered on the promise of the Obama administration. And they've over promised. <laughs> right. Yeah. So what did you think of parents by Todd? Uh, you know, it's just it's unbelievably um, how many things we're juggling at one time, uh, just uh, in- including this president and all the scandals he's involved in and just him completely opening the borders and, you know, to, not even to blame Biden. It's everyone around him and uh, people across the country who are. And engaging in this, that it's okay to have open borders and let anybody who we don't need to know. I mean, if you look at these videos, it's mostly men, military age men, 18 and over, 21 and over. What do you think is going to happen when you just let men f- uh, freely roam in a country? These 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 feminists and these liberal women are just, they're out of their mind because they just think it, it's, you know, it's just, uh, it's humanitarian. Like, you know, we were talking about humanitarian parole. It's just, it's human to just let, let people into any country. It's illegal to, to vet anybody. And these guys do not care about your pronoun. Is that safe to say, Rod? Or am I being oh, biased? This might be <laughs> yeah. woke people at the border. Right, right. No, they they laugh at things like that. You know, uh, they probably spit at someone's face. They said you have to call me, they, them, or something like that. You know. So we talked about the health implications of the immigration crisis. And by the way, this is why I say I I can't work up too much care about Brittany Griner at a point when Angela Merkel is admitting to something that makes negotiation with the West impossible. And there's a huge immigration crisis. I can't work up a lot of warm feelings about Brittany Griner. Maybe I'm heartless and cruel, but I just can't. I'm not feeling it. Does that make sense, Rod? No, that makes sense. A lot of people really, you know, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the, you know, the the last thing you can just be like, well, she's an American and we got her back. You know, that's the only thing. I mean, but she did break laws in Russia. They, they, then the media does does not. You know, uh, we just had uh, Corinne Jean Pierre say that you know she was illegally detained. Well, no, she was legally detained for illegally breaking right. the law. Yes, exactly right. And if again, if you want to have a discussion that drug laws in general are too harshly prosecuted. And the war on drugs was a war on people and liberty. That's fine. I'm going to work up all the enthusiasm. Hold your ears for a second. Ready? Yay. Yay, Brittany. Woohoo. That's it, Todd. I mean, Rod. Forgive me. Rod and Todd, you know, had a stroke. It's tough sometimes. But, Rod, did I sound overly enthusiastic to you? No, that's that's that seems about the uh, the right enthusiasm that Brittany Griner deserves. You know, um, again, you know, it, it, they they gaslight you with the, with things like you know she was illegally detained and you know stupid narratives like that. You know, if you break a law in another country, that's on you, and uh, you know over uh, you know it's on you. So you know, you, if you break the law, you serve you do the time. But 
became a, and I, a whole I really thing. I, I tried to put energy into it. I, I, I felt it in my heart. Yay, Brittany. Whatever. Okay, so well, I got another clip for you. You, you actually you got another clip for me. This is this is Ron Johnson, right? Yeah, he's listening to uh, one of the doctors. You can hear him in the clip. Yeah, he was uh, had a COVID nineteen uh, panel. And Raj, Ron Johnson, I'm going to say, is doing for for a fairly mainstream kind of MAGA guy. You know, and uh, admittedly, whenever the media talks about someone as a mega extremist, I immediately perk up my ears and think I'm going to like this person. Do you get the same impression, Rod, when they say so-and-so is a mega extremist? That I feel something in my heart for. Are you the same way? Yeah, then usually they're they're talking about some type of... uh some type of corruption. They're usually trying to expose some type of corruption. Usually the um, people who are MAGA or who uh, espouse to be like Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Lauren Barber, you know, they're trying to expose the government corruption. So yeah, you know, I, I go along with that, whoever it is, whatever political spectrum. So let's play this informed consent clip. Hit it. insert, I pulled it from the box of mRNA product. And, you know, it was sealed just like I'm showing you here. I, I unsealed the box that the entire thing came in. And then I pulled this out. And this is what it looks like. So I'd like to show this to you. It is, sorry about that. It's, um, it's blank. On Boom. And there it, it is. It says intentionally blank on it. That's the data that pharmacists and physicians are basing on giving the injections outside of mainstream media recommendations. There it is right there. Here's a good question. Why didn't they just print that on a piece of paper the size of a postage stamp? Why all the theater of folding it up into a great big piece of paper like like that? Why? But that, that's, 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 that's what's passing for informed consent. Right. So how am I to get informed consent to parents when I have, this is what I have. I have a government that's telling me that I have to say safe and effective. And if I don't, my license is at threat. Um, how am I to give informed consent to patients? We're seeing an uptick in myocarditis. We're seeing an uptick in adverse reactions. We have trusted these regulatory agencies. I have for my entire career up until now. Something is extremely wrong. Now, so Rod, we're on radio, so we can't see it, but they talked about it. What is the data that she showed? What is the big piece of paper that she showed? Describe it for us, please, Rod. It's supposed to be the informed consent sheet that is uh, folded in the insert of a vaccine that unfolds into like a almost a half of a map uh, so you can, you know, fold into like what, 18th or something or whatever, just fold it so many times. But as she unfolds it and unfolds it, it's like she said, it's just a, a blank paper that says intentionally blank. So it's just a giant paper that just says intentionally blank. It's supposed to have, you know, all the ingredients and all the adverse effects and everything that might happen from you from taking this vaccine, but it's just intentionally blank. So it's nothing. It's literally nothing. That's what you're saying, Rod. It's it's trust the science and trust Dr. Fauci. So the paper doesn't. You don't even need to read the paper. These these guys are uh, they're gods, you know. <laughs> so you need to just trust them. And so I think that 
represents the Biden policy on a lot of stuff. This page intentionally left blank. It describes immigration policy and drug policy. You know, Biden knows Biden is a big wussy about this. Biden could do the thing I said before. He could change the schedule one status of marijuana. And but he doesn't do that. Have you noticed that, Rod? You you would th- you would think that. I mean, it, uh, I don't think he's going to run again. I don't think he's going to be physically, mentally able to do it. But you would think, you know, hey, you know, let me get myself a real win here because you would have people on both political spectrums and be like, hey, you know, even though we don't like Joe Biden, that would be something we could uh, support. Rand Paul and Thomas Massey would be in favor of that move, but he doesn't do it. And he's I think it's obvious at this point he's not going to do it unless he thinks it will help him in 2024, which, as you say, a lot of people are skeptical that he's in fact going to run. But we're out of time. Thanks so much to Todd from the Center for Immigration Studies. Great job. And thanks so much for Ian Schilling from London. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.